So our text this morning is going to be out of Isaiah 42, uh, and then we're going to be in Psalm 107 as well. We're going to connect the two. This is the second part of a, a sermon, the first part being last week, Christ as covenant, Christ as covenant. I'm going to focus on verse 6 and 7 in Isaiah 42, and then we'll go to uh, 107. Just as a way of quick recap um, in your handout, uh, just we can walk through this very quickly. Many of, the, of God's mandates, his ordinances, his statutes, his judgments included covenant language, that that covenant is God entering into an agreement with us. God convenes with us in a covenant relationship to get us into agreement with him. Uh, and as we convene with God and enter into a covenant relationship with him, uh, we learn about the character, the nature, the sovereignty, uh, the omnipresence, and the omnipotence of God. I mentioned uh, last week about the lessons about covenant as Christ as covenant from uh, that Isaiah 42, the Isaiah 42, 1 through 9 passage. Uh, his covenant involves his chosen servant. You have the verses at the end of this statement. His chosen servant in whom God's soul delights and who has his spirit and who will bring forth justice. Justice. God is love. God is spirit. That's verse 1 of that Isaiah 42 passage. No matter how broken and disheartening, justice will be accomplished. You know, we know from the scripture and the gospels and Isaiah in chapter 53 that Christ was a man of many sorrows, many sorrows. And in spite of that, justice um, was and will be accomplished. Uh, Christ as covenant has been called by God the Father in righteousness. I asked that question last week, what is righteousness? And you can reflect on John 14, 15. Righteousness is doing the will of God through love. And Jesus says in John 14, 15, if you love me, you'll obey my uh, commandments, if you love me. He, Christ, as covenant, is held, protected, and appointed for God, for you and I as a light to the people, the nations. So now the purpose of Christ is covenant. The purpose. Now I had referenced in our handout last week, and you can go back there, many, many passages in Scripture about uh, covenant, uh, many in the Old Testament, some in the New Testament. You could certainly just camp out in the book of Hebrews. I could preach uh, two months of sermons about covenant just out of Hebrews. But this morning I want us to focus on the purpose of covenant, and this is the application for you and I. So in Isaiah 42, I want us to look at verse 6 and 7. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory uh, to another. Uh, wait a second. Yes, I'm sorry. Um, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I need reading glasses now. I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you. I will appoint you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations. To And here it is. Here's the purpose. To open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon and those who dwell in darkness from the prison. Let's read that again. Purpose. Verse 7. To open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon and those who dwell in darkness from the prison. From the prison. Now go to Psalm 107, back to where Don was reading from this morning. 
in the 107th Psalm. He read verses 1 through 9. I'm going to read verse uh, 10 and 11. Psalm 107, verse 10 and 11. There were those who dwelt in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in misery and chains, because, because they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. Now, it's not on your handout. Go to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, we'll tie all this together. This was at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. It's after his temptation. He's probably about 30 years old. And uh, we'll begin reading in verse 14. Luke chapter 4, verse 14. And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit... And news about him spread through all the surrounding district. This is after his temptation, verse 15. And he began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he opened the book and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is from Isaiah 61. Because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, uh, the prisoners, and and recovery of sight to the blind, to set uh, free those who are downtrodden to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. This is the beginning of his public ministry. I want to tie all those together this morning. Um, the first thing that I want to do when you look at all those passages is define prison, prison and prisoners. Now, in, in the scripture, there were two, uh, two designations for prison and prisoners. There was the literal. It was the literal. It was the, the literal physical prison. Uh, there was examples of that in the book of Acts. Uh, Paul and Silas were, uh, they were in a prison, the Philippian jail. A physical, literal prison. The majority of references in Scripture are not about a physical, literal prison. They're not. Um, They're just not. The passages that I read, just read to you, is not dealing with a literal, physical prison. It is dealing with the prison uh, that is, it's intellectual, it's uh, emotional, it's, uh, it's physically uh, you and I physically, um, not being literally in a prison, are, we, we're, we're literally physically in prison. We'll talk about that just briefly in a moment. And then spiritual, the spiritual prison. The majority of passages in the ones that I just read has to do with that prison. It could be both. It could be both. But the majority of them have to do with the prison that you and I live in or we can live in here, never being locked up in a jail cell. But in fact, we are prisoners intellectually, emotionally, spiritually, and even physically. Um, One thing we know about prison is that there has to be an offense and a judgment. 
Nobody, you, you, in order for you to go to prison, and even spiritually, there has to be an offense. A law is broken. And so, and then there's judgment. So those passages we just read this morning, we look at those. And so now, then who dwells in prison and confinement? There's three blanks here, but there's four. So the first one is uh, Satan and his minions. Satan and his minions, they literally, uh, they're, in, they're in prison. They are. Now, you, if you'll just read, there's some, you can go to Ephesians chapter 2 and, and John chapter 12 and, and 2 Corinthians chapter 4. There's some titles for Satan. And uh, one is the, the little g, God of, God of nature, God of the world, so to speak. There is uh, the power of the prince of the air in Ephesians 2. And so there are some terms about Satan. But I want you to go to Luke chapter 10 real quickly. Luke chapter 10. Jesus makes this definitive statement. He had sent out the 70, chapter 10, verses 1 through 16, those that he had chosen to, and he'd given them instructions. And verse 17, it says, And the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Dramatic, powerful statement. They've come back. He's empowered them. He sent them out to preach the good news about the kingdom of God. They come back. Even the demons are subject to us. And he said, I was there watching. Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I have given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall injure you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. Now, I will tell you, if you were just to look through Scripture, and if you were to go to that Ephesians in chapter 2 statement, in fact, I'll just go there very quickly. Ephesians chapter 2, it makes a, a statement about uh, what can be seen as, as Satan having uh, some level of authority. And uh, I guess that could be scary for us. Uh, in, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, and we go verse 1 and 2, and speaking to Christians, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of the world, according, you were dead. Now remember, formerly you were dead to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Now we know from Job chapter 1 and verse 12 that Satan, his, he, he's subject to the authority of God. We know that he has been, there was an offense, and he was judged, and he was cast from heaven. We know that he has some level of a, 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 a power here on earth, but you need to be sure, church, he's a prisoner. He's been judged. Now, if you go through the scripture, you'll see in 1 Corinthians 10 and 13. Let's go there, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. You know, because we, I, I tell you, I think uh, we've been more influenced by Hollywood and uh, in, in modern culture about Satan than, uh, than the word of God. So in 1 Corinthians 10, 
Let me get there. If you were reading the whole passage, I'll start in verse 1. It says, For I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Talking about uh, the Egyptian bondage and Moses leading the children out of uh, Egyptian bondage in their 40 years in the desert. Verse 2, And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased. Most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. Now listen, church, today, Christ is covenant, the purpose of covenant. Prisoners who dwell in darkness and misery. Now these things happen as examples for us that we should not crave evil things. We should not crave evil things. That we should not crave evil things. As they also crave. And do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally as some of them did and 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. You know, the only authority that Satan has and the only power that Satan has as a prisoner who's been judged, his offense was pride, his offense was arrogance, his offense was blasphemy, He thought himself God. He was cast from heaven. He's been sentenced. And the only power that he has is the power that humanity in our flesh is like him. What I mean? Craving evil, evil things. Idolatry. Immorality. Grumbling. Verse 11. Now these things happened to them as an example. They were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages come. Therefore let him who thinks he stands. Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Now listen. No temptation has overtaken you but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape also that you may be able to endure it. If you go to John, 1 John and 4, verse 4, the scripture says, Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. You, if you're a Christian saved by God, you, you have no reason to fear Satan, literally none. You just have none. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. We've been saved by God. We've been given the Holy Spirit. It's amazing to me, though, the number of Christians who have a sense of fear of the demonic and the satanic. What, what for? 
He's, he has been condemned. He's a prisoner. His offense is notable. He's been judged. He can't do anything except under the authority of God. And he cannot harm you, and he cannot harm me. He can tempt us. But the scripture just said, it's no temptation that will ever befall you. God in his power will always provide a way out. But as long as we crave evil things, as long as we grumble and complain, we make ourselves subject to that temptation. Go to James in chapter 4. James in chapter 4. One more word about this. Verse 1, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage in your members? This is to the church. What is the source of, of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source of your pleasures? That's the problem. Whenever you see a, a, a church it quarreling and divided, you, I promise you, 100% of the time, it's because of personal pleasure. It really is. However that manifests itself. That wage war in your members. You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. And you're envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you don't ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. So that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulterous. Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? I'm going to tell you what's happening today up in Seattle and throughout this country. Is really manifested in the words of this. We have an entire culture. That has determined friendship with the world is the goal of their life. Politicians, families, individuals. And that is hostility towards God. Do you ever consider that? Whenever you and I as Christians have the wrong motives, and we've determined that friendship with the world, all the pleasures of the world, that we believe that are going to give us peace, Enjoy is actually hostile towards God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. I could camp right there and just preach. Or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he's made to dwell in us. I do think we've got a world of people professing Christians in churches that have never stopped to consider this statement that do you, do you really think that Scripture speaks to no purpose? We listen to the world speak about their purpose concerning the things that we want, the pleasures that we desire. Hmm. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So now listen, submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. 
I don't care what your condition in life is. Now, the key here, people will always quote this, resist the devil and he'll flee from you, and, and, it, and they've missed the point. Satan will never flee from you if you resist him in your power and in your arrogance. I've heard preachers say, name it and claim it. In the name of Jesus, I rebuke you. Really? Wow. Sounds good. Maybe fires you up. But how about, dear Lord God Almighty, I'm weak, I'm ashamed, I'm struggling. My flesh is weak, my spirit is willing, but my flesh is weak according to your word. I'm under attack, this church is under attack, my marriage is under attack, my children are under attack, this country is under attack. Dear Lord God Almighty, we just humble ourselves and we call upon your name and we desperately need you. Please intercede on our behalf. Now Satan will run, he'll he'll flee. At the speaking of that, if there was any sense of darkness in here, he has left the building. And I don't say that arrogantly. He cannot stand up in the face of humility to the sovereignty of God. He cannot. And you and I, God has instilled that power within us, that spirit. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. You're witnessing the landscape of the power of the prince of of the air to the sons of disobedience. You're witnessing. You just turn the TV on. It'd be best if you turned it off. Who's in prison? Well, the the secular, the non-Christian. Satan and his minions, the the secular and the non-Christian man. If you're not a Christian, if you've not been saved by grace through faith, that not of yourselves, Ephesians 2. If you've not been saved, you're a prisoner. You're dwelling in darkness and misery. And you may not know it, You know, it's interesting. I don't know if you've ever been to a prison. You know my past. There are people who actually enjoy being in prison. There really are. Prison is the place that they dwell. They're comfortable in prison. You might just think that's insane. You just might. But if you're not saved, it's amazing how the darkness of the world can consume you and you can become, become comfortable in that. Your flesh is desiring. It's pleased with it. I, I had not thought about sharing this with you this morning. I'm going to hold to my 30-minute mandate, mandate, so I've got 10 minutes. So I won't finish this handout this week. But uh, in 1982, if you were in prison at the... Uh, Texas Department of Corrections, and if you were a trustee and you had, uh, if you had maintained good standing, uh, you could actually get a fur, furlough. You, they would allow you, if you were within a, a couple of years of your parole and your behavior was good and you were a trustee, you could get a furlough. And they would allow you to leave for three full days. And they would pay, give you a bus ticket there, get you a bus ticket back. They had to do some, you know, make sure you had a place to stay. I remember one of the first lessons that I had in that darkness. 
consumed. I was not a Christian. I know where with what I'm speaking to you about this morning. There was a man who, since 1947, had spent up into this, would have been 19 in the 80s, early 80s, had spent over 30 years in prison on three different occasions. They'd all added up. He was a trustee on this unit. He worked in the security office, and uh, TDC was going into some, uh, changing their old handwritten files into some uh, database and computer stuff, probably very primitive now, but it wasn't then. The man was given a three-day furlough. His son was on the unit. His son was also about 30 years old, and this gentleman was in his 60s. He had been so excited about going on furlough, so excited about that, been talking about it. About a week before he was supposed to leave, there was a new inmate that uh, was, uh, came on the unit. He was a young guy, and uh, he, had know, he knew about data processing and stuff, you know, computer stuff. And they interjected him into the security office there, and he was going to help them update all their stuff. And this guy, this older gentleman, went on his furlough, came back the next day. He'd been so excited, talked about his plans. You know why he came back? He was afraid that this gentleman was going to take his job in the prison. Now, that was one of the first lessons that I... I wasn't a Christian. But I read these scriptures here, and I think about that statement, dwelling in darkness. We just live in darkness. We dwell in it. It becomes, and the misery, we even get used to the misery. And then there's professing Christians, number three, that are prisoners who dwell in darkness and misery. Professing Christians. If I've observed anything at all over the years of ministry, I have seen that. People professing to be Christian. And the scripture is very clear. Jesus will say, on those, in that, that moment, there'll be many who'll say, many who will say, Lord, Lord, and they'll say, depart from me. I, I don't know you. The scripture says, the writer Paul, who writes to the Galatians, you'll know them. In 1 John, go read that. You'll know them. You'll know them by their deeds, the deeds of the flesh, or the fruits of the Spirit. 1 John says you'll know them. If they profess to love God and hate their brother, you'll know them. They're not Christian. And so there are professing Christians that are littering the seats and the pews of churches all over the world. And they're in misery and darkness. They're dwelling in darkness. They're prisoners. And then the fourth one, which you don't have a blank for, the fourth one that is the most concerning are Christians. Christians. Those that are indeed saved. By the sovereign will of God. The scripture tells us not to grieve the Holy Spirit. Almost every letter in the New Testament is written to Christians that are saved. But they really are dwelling in darkness. 
They just are. And, and here's the reason why, church. Go back to that 107, that's Psalm 107, for two reasons. Because they rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. I have to say to you this morning, um, I went through a ministerial counseling process at Abilene Christian University, and, and they told us how to just biblically uh, to, to do an assessment. Only the scripture allows the process and the answers and the truth about defining a problem, giving the answer to the problem. And he said, you will always find when somebody comes to you, by the time they come to your office, you're the last resort. I mean, you really are. The preacher's always the last resort. We just are. You got a problem in your marriage. You have a problem with your kids. You have a problem with your family. Preacher's the last resort. He said, you should know that. They've already tried everything else. And something, as a Christian, finally, he said, well, maybe you ought to go talk to the preacher. And, they, and so when they get to me, I know it's the last resort. They come to me. And then they began to uh, share their problem. And, there, and there's always, you can just, there's no mystery to any of it. And it's somewhere in the process, you're going to learn one of two things. With a culture, the, the problem, the struggle, and it may not be them. Maybe it's their husband. Maybe it's their wife. Maybe it's both of them. Maybe it's just something that's going on in the workplace. Maybe it could be anything. Finances, you name it, anything, just anything at all. Two things are going to be identifiable with our, it's going to be rebellion of the word of God, rebelling against the word of God, and spurning the counsel of the most high. Now you go to the garden, Eve. She rebelled against the word of God. There's a difference. Now you may be doing both. Here's the offense, and the offense, there'll be judgment, and there'll be a prison sentence. So you can be a Christian living under a prison sentence. And it'll always be because of one of two things. Rebelling against the word of God and spurning the counsel of the most high. The word of God instructs us, it teaches us, and it also counsels us. So you got a problem. And it's, well, here's what it is. I can tell you what the word of God says. Here's how you fix it. This is the way you fix it. Now, you and I have a decision. You either accept that word or you don't, even the garden. Did God really say in his word, did God speak to you verbally in his word? You say, yes, he did. Well, that's because God doesn't want you to be like him. Knowing good for me, you just be like, but so what did she, she rebel? She looked at it, she desired it with her eyes, she took and she ate. That was rebellion. Now, we all do that. We all do that. We test the Word of God constantly. Well, this is what the Word of God says. Okay? Yeah. But it's not what I want to do. So that's rebellion. Then there's the scorning of the counsel of the Most High. Hmm. Years ago, I was teaching a series of sermons out of 1 Corinthians. I'm just going to give you the most obvious one. 
This is the one that culturally has affected us probably the most in the body of Christ. There's two. And then, you know, Paul very clearly talks about the role of women and men. It's the word of God. And he counsels marriage. What about marriage? Ephesians. Husbands, love your wife the way Christ loved the church. Wives, respect your husband as the Lord. Uh, Peter, this counsel of Peter was the word of God. Husbands and wives submit to one another. But I was teaching, it was getting to that touchy place in Corinthians. And I had somebody come to me and said, Preacher, you're really not going to preach that, are you? I wouldn't do that if I was you. I'm going to tell you, the condition that the church is in today is because godly men and women scorn, or I say godly, Christian men and women, scorn the word of God, the counsel of the Most High. They scorn it. it now, they don't scorn Hollywood's message about gender and feminism and sexual morality and sexual immorality. Don got up there and said the church looks different than it did in the 50s. Churches are full all over, all over the world with men and women that are cohabitating without being married. They just are. I don't think that was happening much in the 50s. Don't believe it was. We have Christian uh, denominations and churches that are ordaining homosexual men and uh, women to serve as a leader in a church. Now, if you t- I'm tell you, as a preacher, if we start addressing these issues, there's going to be people that scorn the counsel of the Most High. How dare that preacher share the counsel of the Most High? And it requires submission and obedience from me. It requires self-examination. But it is the counsel of the Most High. Now, I'm, I'm done because I, I, I don't want to go too long. I said no more than 35 minutes. I'm at 32. So I am going to read. I handed this out. This is a prayer uh, that Pastor Joe Wright did to uh, the State of Representatives in Kansas, 1996. He decided he was not going to give the obligatory just uh, opening prayer. I, I want to suggest something to you. If you get an opportunity this week, you just, if you don't, if you need, take 40 minutes out of your time and go to Adrian Rogers, his sermon. It says, should God be impeached? You need to watch it, church. I would just tell you, you just need to watch it. And he quoted this uh, prayer over 65 of the representatives in this, they walked out. They walked out during and after the prayer. The church had over 5,000 calls after this prayer. You can go to the web, and you can, this is 1996. So talk about rebelling against the word of God, spurning the counsel of the Most High, those that are in prison because of offense and been judged, Satan and his minions, secular non-Christian man, professing Christians, and Christians. I'm going to read this, 
And then we'll close with a prayer. This was his prayer. It took him, he penned it. And I think it took him, I could be wrong, but I think it took him over an hour to pen it. He wanted, he was deeply concerned about uh, the culture of America. You and I should be as well. Heavenly Father, we come before you today to ask your forgiveness and seek your direction and guidance. We know your word says this is the word of God, the counsel from the Most High. What are those who call evil good? But that's exactly what we've done. We have lost our spiritual equilibrium and inverted our values. We confess that we have ridiculed the absolute truth of your word and call it moral pluralism. We have worshipped other gods and called it multiculturalism. We have endorsed perversion and called it an alternative lifestyle. We have exploited the poor and called it the lottery. We have neglected the needy and called it self-preservation. We have rewarded laziness and called it welfare. The word of God in the council of the Most High says, If a man won't work, don't let him eat. We have killed our unborn and called it choice. We've shot abortionists and called it justifiable. We've neglected to discipline our children and called it building esteem. No wonder you see what's happening in the large urban communities of this country. We have abused power and called it political savvy. We have coveted our neighbor's possessions and called it ambition. We polluted the air with profanity and pornography and called it freedom of expression. Christians who can justify the use of pornography justify the use of profanity, rebelling against the word of God and scorning, spurning the counsel of the Most High. Hmm. We have ridiculed the time-honored values of our forefathers and called it enlightenment. Search us, O God, and know our hearts today. Try us and see if there be some wicked way in us Cleanse us from every sin and set us free. Guide and bless these men and women who have been sent here by the people of Kansas and who have been ordained by you to govern this great state. Grant their wisdom to rule and may their decisions direct us to the center of your will. When's the last time you prayed that? That you ask God to guide you to the center of your will. And I ask it in the name of your Son, the living Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm going to start from there next week. I want to challenge you to examine your life. The purpose of covenant is to set free the prisoner. Examine your life. See if there's an area where you're rebelling against the word of God or you spurn the counsel of the Most High. And we'll, we'll continue on next week. Let's pray.
Father in heaven, thank you again for loving us. Thank you for blessing us. Thank you for interceding on our behalf. Thank you for the covenant that assures us that in, our, in the darkness and in the dwelling that you've made provision for us. And so, Father, we, we, we cry out to you. And we just cry out, trusting you, needing you, loving you, wanting you, Father. We want to be at the center of your will. And it is in the name of the center of your will, Father. The center of your will is indeed your Son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray, amen.